Greetings, my friends. Welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with wifey. Yes, that's right. We got the wifey on the line today, having a little Christmas fun. We're just going to break it up a little bit and chat about some holiday stuff. Holidays. (laughs) Happy holidays. Oh, my God. I didn't know you were going to sing. I would have taken my headphones off. That was as long as I I was going to sing for. You knew you knew all three of those notes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic, good deal. So, how was your holiday? Holiday so. was peaceful, full of peace and joy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was quiet. I got a chance to visit with family in Canada in November, so that was nice, and then got to share. Some quiet days here with you, eating some good food and resting by the fireplace, which was awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic, especially since it was cold and rainy. So many days, yeah. Got a little colder today, a little more rainy today, which is kind of unusual. It felt like I was walking outside on a cold summer night in Canada tonight. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Canada cold out there. You're such a baby about the cold now. Well, I live in Arizona. I've climatized. You've accl- my my you've body acclimatized. I, I'm fairly certain that I was born to live in the, the warm weather. I'm fairly certain your temperature range of comfort is like four degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> like from seventy two to seventy six, you're all right. If it's above that, you're hot. If it's below that, you're freezing. There's no middle ground. Hey, that's a great temperature range to be in. (laughs) (laughs) And if you can create that, why not always live in it? Well, you know, I'm not arguing with that. It's a comfortable temperature. I'm just simply saying uh, that your point to being acclimated to the area, I'm not exactly sure that's true. Right. Well, I enjoy the heat now and... I'm happy that I don't have to shovel snow and be in the cold Canada winters. You enjoy the heat until the heat gets here, and then you complain about the heat. <laughs> <laughs> That's just in a nature, in my nature. Yeah. So it's 46 degrees outside and raining right now. And you just compared that to Canada, which is what, minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit? No, I said Canada in the summertime. I said it, tonight... Is like walking outside on a summer night in oh, Canada. Oh, okay. I missed that part you missed, somehow. You totally went right over your head. Yeah, I'm going to have to play. I don't think you said that. I I'm going to have to go back to the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to get the replay. All right, we'll go back on it. Yeah. Well, that's what I said, or I thought I said, was tonight on a winter night in Arizona is like a summer night in Canada. Yeah. For sure. Well, that was that one summer. I remember being up there. It was, I think the warmest day we had was like 78 degrees in Calgary. It was cold, cloudy almost every day. I don't remember what year that was. And that wasn't really normal. I don't know what happened with the weather that year. Yeah. But I remember that. Yeah, it was very strange. And then most years you would at least get a, you know, a couple of weeks where it was 80 degrees in Calgary. But, you know. We didn't really have any of that 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 year, which was very, very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, the weather in you, man, that's just a, it's a, uh, it's an enigma <laughs> wrapped in a mystery. 
<laughs> wrapped in a curiosity. There you go. Or something like that. Something almost badly poetic, I guess you'd say. Maybe. I have Mediterranean blood, so I'm good with the warm heat. I like humidity, which I don't have here, but I I would rather have the dryness than than like over humid like it was in Georgia for you. What are we like 90 years old? We're just talking about the weather. I <laughs> sit down at the bus stop. Yeah, let's, let's have a chat about the weather. There's yeah. nothing else going on. All right. Well, what are we going to talk when about? We've been married for how long have we been married now? Too long. Too long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Isn't it like 11 years now? 11 years. This yeah. February is our anniversary. Does that count the secret year or not the secret year? That counts the secret year. So then that would be. So yeah, it's just 10 years. 2011. Well, it'll be 11 this coming year, yeah. That's it's actually, yeah, it'll be 11 on February 2022. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. So growing up in Canada, you're just coming off the holidays. What was the Christmas feeling and spirit around the uh, old school Italian house up in the frozen tundra like? Well, the holidays in my home was always about the food traditions and my mom owned an Italian restaurant, so Christmas Eve, we would always be at my mom's restaurant. I would bring the dog, we would bring the dog over, because we, of course, we had to have him with us, and my mom would cook a steak, and she would cook up a huge seafood feast, and we would all eat at the restaurant, and, and then after eating, we would prepare the turkey and prepare the fixings for what was going to be turkey on Christmas day and we would pack it all into the trunk of the car and drive it home. So all of the food prep and everything ended up happening at the restaurant, which was just so much easier with the big wooden tables and the stainless steel sinks and all that sort of thing. So, so you catered your own meal basically, (laughs) basically. (laughs) And then on Christmas day, so we would go home and then We stopped, my parents stopped putting up a Christmas tree mm, probably like just after I was in college, but we'd still go back to the house and open a gift. If there was a gift when we were younger, uh, my mom would wrap something. And then when we got older, it was always cash and we were so excited to get it. Well, I was, I'm pretty sure my brother and my sister were, were too, but we were excited to get envelopes of cash from my mom. She was the one that was always giving out the cash. And then on, we had boxing day. So we would eat at home for Christmas and sometimes go out in the snow, go skating or play in the snow, take the dog for a walk, do whatever, you know, we could, if it wasn't too, too crazy cold outside. And then, um, boxing day was shopping day. So then we take, when we were younger, I remember just taking all the cash and going to the mall with my best friend and we would shop and catch whatever deals we could get. And that was, uh, that was what the three days would look like. So for those of us who don't know what Boxing Day is, because we grew up in the States, what is Boxing Day? And I guess I should say, 
Your name is Christina Archer. I don't think I actually named you at the top of the podcast. I just called you wifey. Yeah. You, you let me get away with that. So yeah, I, I guess ran with it. you did. <laughs> just so comfortable chatting with you. Yeah. I forgot other people are going to hear this. So yeah. So this is Christina guys, just FYI. So, all right. Boxing day. It's uh, an English thing, right? That you guys inherited from the crown. Yes. And what is boxing day all about? It's, well, it turns it's turned into a huge retail shopping day, similar to Black Friday being the biggest shopping day of the year, which makes more sense. Like you have that shopping day before Christmas here, and then it kicks off the holidays, and you can buy things on sale. And usually, I guess I'm I'm assuming people here will buy things on sale and they buy do their Christmas shopping. Well, in Canada, it's the day after. Christmas, the 26th of um, December, that everything goes on sale. So people will line up for, you know, the big sales. And I don't know that it's the same as it was growing up. It was much more nostalgic and of a big, a big deal. You know, nowadays people just order things online and, or you go to the store and you get like what, big boxing day deal and it's like five dollars off right it's not the big sales like they used to do you know the three thousand dollar tv was fifteen hundred dollars and that was a big deal so, it was a big tv too <laughs> it was a big heavy tv <laughs> yeah that's for sure those big box what do you even call them i remember i bought i i spent like thirty two hundred dollars this was in 2003 I think it was and it was a Sony TV well you know it because we had to move it (laughs) yeah you still had it when I met you yeah it was huge it was just before the flat screens came out like literally that next year the flat screens came out and my TV was completely obsolete but I had bought the stand and the TV and the DVD player and the speakers and all that sort of thing and that thing weighed a ton and it was such a pain in the ass when we moved. <laughs> Is it still in your parents' house now? No, it went to my parents' house. Well, we gave it to my parents and then it broke. And then they had brought some guy in to fix it. And he was like, you might as well get a new TV because to fix this would cost more than just getting a new TV. <laughs> so right. they got a new TV. Jeez. Funny. Yeah, that thing was massive. It was huge. I think it was me and your brother that moved that thing. I remember we rolled the Jeep right up to the front deck of the house, and I think it was you and Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We carried it. We backed across the yard because we didn't want to carry that thing. It was so freaking heavy. (laughs) It was heavy. (laughs) I believe they even made them that way. It's crazy how quickly the technology changed. Yeah. So what are some of the traditions you said seafood was Christmas Eve, right? Mm-hmm. And that's every year, like clockwork, always seafood all the time. It's my favorite meal of the year, and I miss, I've miss, i missed it now living here. And um, so that was always the favorite meal. My mom, would, my mom still had uh, an account with the seafood provider that she had with the restaurant, so she'd call them up and buy a bunch of seafood really top-notch stuff she'd buy mussels and clams and those huge jumbo shrimp like each shrimp was like the size of my hand they were massive 
she would cook those. Calamari would always be what we'd start with. She'd just fry those, and they were like eating potato chips. We just always look forward to the calamari. She would do bacala, which is a salted fish, Italian um, tradition to have at Christmas time. And she would make linguine and whatever other, you know, maybe fresh fish she might have come across. And she'd always do this baked broccoli that had Parmesan cheese on it and just baked the crap out of it. It was kind of mushy, but for somehow it just tasted good. It just reminded me of Christmas Eve. <laughs> this is all the same meal. It's all in the same meal, yeah. <laughs> and then when, you know, when you came around and you don't like seafood, she'd make you a steak and the dog a steak. Yeah, I was, I was on par with the dog, yeah. Me and the dog. Yeah. So I enjoyed the steaks. And then she'd always do a bunch of cookies and bake bread, you know, throughout the week leading up to that day. Right. And uh, so there's always just a ton, just a ton of food. We would, my brother and sister and I would always text each other and make sure that, you know, you don't consume too much during the day. You have to fast until you get to that meal so you can just eat it all. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. I loved it. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure that you did. Having seen you guys uh, chow down at the table, man, I can uh, I can attest to the fact that quite a bit of food gets put away in that mm-hmm. meal for sure. And so that's Christmas Eve. What about Christmas Day? And then Christmas Day was just quieter morning, usually sleep in. And then, ha- you know, my mom would roast a turkey. And we'd usually have our turkey meal earlier, like, or later afternoon or earlier afternoon somewhere between three and four you know we'd have turkey dinner and uh and then that would be pretty much the only meal we'd have that day is a big turkey dinner my mom did a really good job on the turkey it was always so juicy and that was really christmas i mean when i had a boyfriend in high school i would have to split time between his family and my family or do, you know, we I never would miss Christmas Eve, but there's there was a couple Christmas days that I would I would miss and I would have at his house or he would come for Christmas Eve and I would go there for Christmas Day or you know, so did you guys always do gifts and things like that when you were kids, like little kids? Mm, not really. I don't remember getting a lot of gifts. There was always something. <clears throat> but like I said, once we were probably, I'd say 13, 14, that's when the cash envelopes started to come out. That's so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> My mom was always so busy working at the restaurant. And she, you know, it was just easier for her. And we were all happy with that, so... Yeah, it cuts out the middleman. You don't have yeah. to take it back, right, and get the money. I feel like when we <laughs> when we got into our adult years, my mom would wrap up a, a gift for us and give us a gift, and it, it was, you know, always so grateful to get something, and she, but it would always be a kitchen item. Right, right. A kitchen tool or a pan or a pot or, you know, <laughs> something to do with the kitchen. So she would shop, and you know, she loves going to Costco and, Buying up the deals. Yes, she does. And whether you have that pan or pot or not, that was, you were going to get something. 
(laughs) (laughs) And even this past year, she, she got me a pan that I loved. I ended up cooking our turkey and Thanksgiving in it. Yeah. So a roasting pan I packed in my suitcase. Yeah, packed it in your suitcase. I was just going to say, like like mother, like daughter, right? Yeah. You have to tell the story. Like your mom packed a whole suitcase of dishes and stuff to go to Italy. Last <laughs> <Yeah>. time <laughs> she went. <laughs> I know. It's just easier for her to pack a suitcase of stuff from here than there, especially in southern Italy, like in the small village. There's not much for shopping, and it's super expensive, and you don't have a lot of choice. And so it's it's just, you know, just pack a bag and she put all sorts of things. Do you have a favorite Christmas that you remember as a child? Oh, that's a good question. Is there one that stands out in your mind as just being special in some way? Mm. Uh, not really. I mean, I always lo- just loved it because I felt like we had time for our family. My mom would close the restaurant on Christmas Day, and I, that was literally the only day she would close it. So, you know, just, you know, having rest and being at home and eating the foods, you know, that we loved. And I just, every every Christmas was different. And, you know, there's always the drama that comes with, the family and <laughs> the fighting and the different things, but I don't remember that stuff. I, you know, I remember just having, you know, close friends. And then I always loved Christmas exchange with Mariana, my best friend, because we would always buy, like, you know, go all out and buy each other great gifts. And that was always my favorite gift to open. She actually had texted me this year saying, Oh, I miss our gift exchange. And I said, Well, we should we should talk about doing something different now that, you know, we're apart and we're, you know, not always together um, during, you know, the holidays or the birthdays and that sort of thing, living so far away. So, yeah, I think uh, I had a couple, you know, Christmases away when I was traveling the five years when I traveled on the cruise ship. I had a lot of, you know, tropical Christmases on the cruise ship working and I I guess you know there was a few Christmases where I got to dress up like an elf and we had made it seem like Santa came out on a tender so we dropped a tender out in the ocean and put Santa on it and then had you know all the kids that were on the ship come onto the deck and like watch Santa like roll in on the boat and some, you know, somebody that was older and chubbier that could fit the Santa role <laughs> would dress up as Santa in a like full-on suit. And, you know, I was an elf and would help Santa, you know, climb, you know, from the boat back onto the ship. And then we'd have the kids would take pictures with Santa and we'd have little games and stuff. So that was really memorable and a lot of fun. You never told me that story. That's a new one. Yeah, that is a new one. It just came to my mind. It's funny. Yeah. I did that. I did that actually at least three times because um, I was always out in the winter times. My contracts would be, you know, I'd be out. I remember the, the millennial cruise was a special New Year's cruise because, you know, 
the whole wasn't the world going to end kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we were mo- moving into 2000. The machines were going to shut down because of the date rolling over and it wasn't factored in. And there was all this scare stuff around that and the banks and ATM machines. Yeah. And crazy <laughs> it's, stuff. It's crazy. But we had um, planned a huge party. I remember we had, um, we planned a balloon drop. We had this huge room where the dancers would dance, you know, do the shows and stuff. And we had tied up this net and we had a, you know, a a air tank and we were blowing up balloons, like literally for three or four days in preparation for this humongous balloon drop. And then we had, you know, we had to time the balloon drop. We had radios and with the, you know, the 10 second countdown, like it was so nerve wracking to be responsible to pull the string and make sure, you know, everyone pulled it at the right time so that the balloons dropped and the confetti went and all that sort of thing. That was a fun New Year's party that we had. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that you were away from home those Christmases when you worked for the cruise lines. Mm-hmm. You never, yeah. yeah, and you never, definitely never told me the Santa on a on a little boat story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fun. There would always be an influx of kids uh, the, at the cruises around then. And the ver- my very first contract was actually when I got offered the job, they asked me to do a two week contract. I went on a ship called the Westerdam by Holland America. And, um, I was there to help run the kids program. So that first year, you know, that I was out cruising, it was, it was Christmas time and there was a ton of kids because, you know, the Christmas, the Christmas break and the families were bringing their kids out on the ship. And, and then I accepted a contract. I went home, I think for a week and then accepted a contract to start a little bit later in January. And I went to New Orleans to join the new Amsterdam. And that was my first contract and I, w- I, I was crew staff, so I worked with adults, did the games and stuff with adults, and then realized really quickly that that cruise line didn't really have many kids. It was mostly, you know, older clientele, and in the 90s, this is in the 90s, so, you know, cruising was just, you know, still kind of for the elite. It was a little more expensive. It was different than how... You know, evolved into such huge ships and filling them with a ton of people and kids and families and you know so many rooms and it just it, the whole industry changed. Um, but those five years, I th- I'm just grateful to have that experience because it was super cool to experience like the old school type of yeah cruising. Seems like that would be a lot more of that romantic idea of being out on the open water being free, being, you know, headed for some destination that maybe you've never seen or been to before. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when you and I went on a cruise last time, it was just a massive ship of deck after deck after deck after deck. Mm -hmm. And then you have a couple places where you're out and about, but for the most part, the entire ship is just rooms. Yeah. But the ships you were on, they were more traditional, right? Yeah. There was less rooms, more outdoor space, more common area space. And that was part of the luxury and the enjoyment, you know, these really 
cool lounges and the artwork and the flowers and the the different carpets and furniture and you know they had um, artifacts. Hall in America is really cool about you know having really cool historical pieces because every time they retire a ship, they would you know they would reuse you know, some of that artwork on the ships were you know millions of dollars, and they would just move it into the new ship and. So years and years of, you know, that company being in, and it was just, it was just gorgeous teak furniture and teak decks and uh, it was brass and all the, you know, traditional nautical things that you would see. You could just walk around and see things that you had never seen before. So it was really cool. I remember that first year being away though, because that was literally, I mean, I, uh, I was 20 years old. Actually, I got the job and I was supposed to be 21. And uh, they didn't ask me. I just, when I got the job and I, you know, I turned 21 in that April. So that first year, anyways, that I went, it was the very first time I was ever away from Canada for the holidays. I'd only experienced up to then cold snow Canada for winter. Like I had traveled to Italy several times in different places prior to that, but it was, you know, it was never around Christmas. So it was really weird. I remember it being really strange. Like we're in the middle of the Caribbean. Like what is like, what's going on here? (laughs) So surreal. Yeah. Um, When I think of Christmas, I always think of cold weather. I always think of snow, you know, growing up in Georgia, we didn't have much in the way of snow, but we always had some cold weather and every once in a while we would get, you know, some snow flurries that (laughs) wouldn't stick. Right. You know, it'd be like maybe half an inch of snow or something. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course school is canceled anytime that happens in the South, but you know, you guys get feet of snow in Canada. I remember the first, well, the first time I came to visit you after we started dating was in December and it was what minus 40 when I landed in Calgary that day. Yeah, it we hit a cold snap. I remember because you got off the plane and you didn't even have a jacket. You just had a sweatshirt. <laughs> and I was like, do you have a jacket? And you were like, no. And I'm like, you're in Canada, remember? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's cold. And you're like, yeah, it'll be all right. And I, I remember you being kind of tough about it. And then I think you were trying to hide that you were, you were cold. You were cold. I actually, I actually wasn't that time because it was novel. You know, mm-hmm. it was just one of those things. It was, it was like, oh, this is different. You know, it's like it was funny, in a way. It's like, damn, it really is cold up here. They're not kidding. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, like minus forty, uh, for for everyone listening, like minus forty is where Celsius and Fahrenheit reunite on the bottom end of the scale. So when you hit minus forty, or is it minus twenty? I think it's m- minus thirty too. Is it minus thirty. Isn't it? Anyway, somewhere around in there, Fahrenheit and Celsius equal out. And so it was really cold. Like, you know, negative Fahrenheit is really cold. Yeah. You know. So anyway, yeah. But it was just novel. It was like the first time I moved to the desert and it was 108 degrees and I got my mountain bike out, you know. And so I'm going to go mountain biking. (laughs) And it was novel. It wasn't wasn't an imposition. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, after a couple of days, it's like, okay, enough of this shit. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually cold. I'm going to have to put real shoes on and put my flip-flops away. <laughs> I think I wore flip-flops to your parents' house <laughs> here in the snow. Just because, you know, we weren't going to be outside. You're well, I'm walking from the car. I remember buying, going and buying shoes. Yeah. We went and bought boots for you because it was way cold. And you ended up extending your trip because yeah. I had just bought that house and you were helping me paint and decorate and really put it together. I moved in on December That's 1st right. and about that. you came in December 11th. So I had literally only lived in that house for 10 days yeah. and it needed, you know, some decorating and some personal touches and you you obviously were familiar with all that and I wasn't so I was <laughs> grateful for you to show me how to do the baseboards we did the baseboards the curtains the, the, painted the kitchen and we painted the, the kitchen. walls yeah, the dining room the hallway the living room kitchen yeah we painted all that I yeah. remember that now yeah I forgot about that yeah we'll put you to yeah, work you put me to work yeah <laughs> for sure and then you ended up staying what three or four weeks I don't remember I'd have to go back and because it was ended up being like late January, or early February that you left. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Two thousand. There's probably some photos on one of my old Blackberries <laughs> somewhere. Was that two thousand nine <laughs> or two thousand ten? That was two thousand nine. Nine, yeah. Because yeah. we yeah. met in April of two thousand nine. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, that was that was very different. I remember that now. I totally forgot about the painting of the house and Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just remember landing it being freaking cold, meeting your parents, watching them scream and yell at each other <laughs> for like all the time. And uh it's like, oh well these they're just like my parents. They scream and yell at each other. Well, they the just time. talk loudly <laughs> at each other. <laughs> With curse words. Yeah. Yeah, we'll call it talking loudly. Um, it's being that's that's passionately expressing yourself yeah. <laughs> yeah and i remember i just remember falling in love with your mom because she was so honest you know and like if something if she saw something she didn't like or something that she wanted to express herself about she'd be like what the fuck are you throwing that for <laughs> you know <laughs> dropping f-bombs and i was like all right cool i like this you know where you stand right yeah like everybody's just out there which was really really cool you know that's that's the type of people I love being around. You know, if you you don't have to put on airs, you can just be yourself, and yeah, that's one of the things that I really appreciate about about your mom. She's always she's been that very, way. Yeah, she's out there. Yeah, I remember. Actually, I think it was around Christmas time, and we were at my uncle's house, you know, visiting, and then my my uh, my aunt walked in the room, and this is uh, well, my mom's first cousin who's my godfather, his wife, right? So uh, she walks in the room and my mom just like blurts out, are you pregnant? You know, look at your belly. You know, she she just like kind of blurts out and she got really offended by that comment that my mom made. And then a couple of weeks later, she calls my mom to apologize and says, actually, I'm pregnant. Like you... You called it right. <laughs> She's having, you know, a you know, a child that they they weren't they weren't planning, so they ended up having a third a third child. But my mom I always remember that. 
My mom was that type. She'd just see something and say it like it is, not thinking, you know. She'd be the first to say, well, how much do you make? And, you know, how much you pay? You, you know, things her you first, just, first, you know, her common. famous question. How much you pay? Yeah, common things that you would be, you know, you wouldn't really, you know, if you had proper etiquette, you wouldn't really say. But she's just innocent that way. She'd just say things. and Yeah, she doesn't some, mean to be hurtful. She's yeah. Just, she's just genuinely out there. Like, she just doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. She exp- I think she has an expectation that other people are just on her wavelength sometimes. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, if you're going to look at a woman and ask her if she's pregnant, she better be. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. That's hilarious, man. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting Christmas experience for me. I'd never been around that much food in all my life, you know, mm-hmm. unless it was, you know, when I was a kid, my parents would make me go to like church homecomings and stuff like that. And everybody in the church would bring a dish, you know, and you meet at the fellowship hall and there's just lines and lines and lines of food and like your mom had that much food for 10 people or 12 people whatever <laughs> it was i was like damn yeah these people can eat yeah that it's it was a you know it's about connecting and eating and i, I you know when i whenever we'd go to italy it's more about the connection and it seems like here in or in canada growing up you know, it would be about the connection, but almost like so much about the food. But when you go to Italy, like even when you go to a restaurant, right, um, the courses take a lot longer. And it it's it's kind of, it's considered impolite for you to bring food out too quickly or like you never, like a waiter would never bring the bill. You have to ask for the bill. And that's because they don't want you to, to like seem like they're being rude and making you rush because Italians like to sit and eat and talk and relax and connect. And, you know, you have a drink, you eat, you, you pause, (laughs) you know, you have another course and, and and that's, that's part of the culture really. I think eating slow, my, my dad really did that well he would always be the last person at the table and he, you know, and he still is. He, he was really good about eating slow and I don't know where it came from, where my brother, my sister, my mom were all much, you know, growing up had that behavior of eating a lot faster. And, um, but then meanwhile, like my dad just, he never changed his behavior. Like he, he would sip on his wine and take bites and he would put his fork down and he would sit and he would eat. I'd never, I don't think I've, if I think about it, I've never seen my dad eat fast ever. Yeah. I think that's true. In the times that we've had dinners with them. Yeah. Mm. He definitely is usually the last one to get up from the table or if not one of the last He's ones. He's always to get the up. last one. Yeah, I always sure. remember we would have eaten, we're down watching TV, like, you know, how in the kitchen, there's the kitchens raised and then it, you oversee the, the living room there. Well, he would be sitting there and we would be, my brother and I would be playing in the living room or watching TV or doing whatever we were doing and he's still sitting at the table. Yeah, for sure. That's one thing that I think it's pretty common for, you know, pretty much every, everyone everywhere, right? Like the coming together, the eating piece. 
Mm-hmm. And then like, it's to what degree do you enjoy being around your family that you end up staying? <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> when I was growing up, it was, we had Christmas Eve. We did Christmas Eve at my grandmother on my mom's side. And then we would come home and later in, later in my teens, we would do presents at night because it would be after midnight when we would come in. And then we would sleep in a little bit and then we would go to my mom's uh, parents or my dad's parents house on the day after Christmas. So we had like three days straight of eat, open presents, go home, eat, open presents, sleep, you know, get up, eat, open (laughs) presents, you know. Yeah. And just uh, it was all it was always about being with your relatives on some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem that is, it doesn't seem like that's as important today as it once was. I don't know. I think it it depends on the family. Um, When you're talking or what came to mind when you asked me about like one of my favorite Christmases, it just came to mind was actually the Christmas that we were apart. It was just the year before I moved here. And my sister hosted Christmas at her house and she had planned for a game afterwards. And so the game was she wrapped like gifts up and like wrapped them in boxes after box after box and with a lot of wrapping paper. And then the game was you had to put on a pair of oven mitts and then you had to unwrap the gift. And then when the music changed or however, like, you'd have to pass to the next person. They'd have to put the gloves on and unwrap. And I, you know, and it was, it was so funny because my, and I had it on video and it got, I got a reminder on my phone, you know, when memories come up and that video of my, my mom and my dad participating in this game actually was, it was a lot of fun to see them. And it was fun to see that the pictures and the, so the games, like that was one thing too. We would we would bring games out and play games um, growing up. And I loved getting together with cousins or friends or like groups and playing board games. And that was always a really fond memory. Yeah, for sure. We, we had, or I guess I should say my, some of my best memories are around just little things like that. You know, I remember my mom's brother, he would always get in the zone telling a story right and it's a story you've heard six times but he's so passionate about the way he tell the story you know mm-hmm. that it just sucks you in no matter how many times you've heard the story and I just remember him being around on Christmas and he'd launch into one of his stories you know and it's just he's not going to stop until he gets to the end so there's nothing you can do you can't interrupt him you know you can't say I've heard that one before you know, you just kind of sit there and take it in. And there's like this moment of grace where you just allow, you just allow this experience to be. And then when you do that, there's this sort of feeling of serenity that comes over you. It's like everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. But I remember him being around. I, I remember he and my dad like uh, smoking meat or, you know, working outside together and coming in and having food and, you know, just those little interactions with them seeing little things happen, seeing the way that the same thing would happen every year, like the way that a meal would take place or the way that the gift exchange was done, you know, like you would, the kids would always give the gifts, 
you know, like mm-hmm. one kid would be picked to give out the gifts and, you know, the ladies would all come together and talk about this dish and that dish and, you know, whose dessert was the best and this and that and the other thing. And just all of those little things were, were way more memorable than getting a gift or, you know, like getting stuff. Like mm-hmm. It was just never about stuff. But in my house too, it was always, there was always a religious element as well. Mm-hmm. We would always do the church. There's always a special, you know, sing, singing service or some play or some event going on that would lead up to Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And my dad, you know, would sing in the choir or, you know, so we'd go and experience these these uh, shows and that sort of thing, which is always enjoyable. And then when you walk in and the not only your house is decorated, you know, like my mom would have two or three trees up, you know, inside and outside of the house is decorated. The church is decorated. Every mall is decorated. Every store is decorated. Mm-hmm. You know, that just whimsical nature of the way that it all went down. Man, that's just such a cool feeling, mm-hmm. you know. And these '80s movies that are coming out, or these '80s shows that are harkening back to that, like um, '80s, early '90s sort of way of being, dude, they just feel so real for me because I experienced it, you know. Yeah, totally. Me too. Yeah, for 80s, sure. '80s kid. '80s kids. Yeah. yeah '80s man. kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. It's a. Uh, it was. I don't know. It was just what it was such a great time, I think, to be a kid because you had access to a little bit of everything. You know, you had video games, but not everything was video games. Right? You had sports, but you didn't have to just be sports. You had, you know, like the California influence. You had freestyle bikes and BMX and skateboards and all of that stuff. And then you had all of the, you know, music influenced fashion the craziness that people would wear from the eighties, like the Madonna and the mm-hmm. Cindy Lauper area era. And then, you know, the hair bands and all that crap. Right. Right. Like I remember all that stuff and it's just such a unique time in history to be a kid and have one foot in all of those worlds. Right. It was just such a rich environment. I think. Mm-hmm. Totally. I wouldn't want to grow up any other time. Definitely. And I would do it all over the exact same way. Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing that I would change. Yeah, for sure. I feel the same way. And I'm sure that a lot of people feel the same way about their upbringing or their, you know, their time as children and what have you. But man, it was literally like the, I think the country itself, and I'm not sure how it was in Canada, but the country itself was in this transition period. And, you know, you'd come off this really sort of worrisome you know, downtrodden time in the seventies and then the eighties come and things start to brighten up a bit and people are having fun again, you know, Mm -hmm. and dude, we got away with so much too. Yeah. So many pranks and my God, it's amazing that we all came out alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We literally would jump off the roof with a blanket thinking that we could use it as a parachute (laughs) We did stuff like that. Like we had water fights on the, on the, on the roof of the house with the hose. And like, we did crazy stuff. Like all the kids on the block, we were playing out till midnight. I mean, you just never would see that these days. It's just different times. Yeah. It's kind of sad to see, you know, kids sort of hovered over like they're, you know, they're going to break if you look at them sideways or (laughs) something, you know? I remember all those times too. I mean, I remember getting BB guns when we were, I don't know, nine, 10 years old, something like that. 
And then, of course, my neighbor would got one. And then we invented BB gun wars, or we thought we had invented BB gun wars, you know, where we just put on thick clothes and a helmet and go out and shoot each other with BBs, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we built tree houses. You know, we're 10, 14, 20 foot up in the air. Sometimes we had uh, we had one tree house that was a double decker. And it was just us with, you know, two by fours and, and 16 penny nails just driving woods uh, into trees. There was no structural soundness to what we were doing, you know, when we were mm-hmm. climbing up and, and, you know, just building as high as we could. You know, in that era, area, era, in that area, you know, pine trees, which was all we were surrounded by. I mean, they'll, they'll grow over 100 feet tall. So we did all of these things and there was never adult around at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and we learned so much from those experiences. Totally. But yeah, it's uh, it's different. I was, well, I told you the story, right? I came home here. Now we live in Phoenix and, you know, uh, we, we live in a pretty nice neighborhood. And, you know, right next door to our house is a, you know, a beautiful green park. And there's a few trees in the park. And I think I told you, I came home one time and I heard some kid uh, like asking for help. You know, he was, oh, I don't remember this. I, I, I think I told you the story. Mm-mm. So anyway, I hear I hear some, a kid's voice, right? And you know, the park is just on the other side of our our lot, and so I can hear him in the house. So he's being pretty loud. So I walk out and I <laughs> look out of our backyard, just over the fence. There's a tree, and there's a kid in the tree, and he is terrified. Like just, he had climbed up the tree and he was freaking terrified that he couldn't get down and he was just, you know, freaking out. And so I'm looking at him and like the fence is, I don't know, maybe six feet tall, something like that. And the tree is just barely over six feet tall. (laughs) 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 And his mom is just playing into it and making it worse. Oh, hold on. I'm going to go get your dad. No. I'm just like, relax, you know, he's seven feet off the ground. Even if he fell on his head, he's got a pretty good chance of being all right, you know. Yeah. But, you know, what do you say to someone in that in that Did you, know, you go out out to the park? I was going to. I was just about to walk around there when she was like, Well, I'm gonna go get your dad and you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, All right, well, I guess they have it under control. So I went back in the house and, you know, sure enough. I guess dad came and just, you know, reached up and pulled him out of the tree because he really wasn't that high up in the yeah. point to begin with. But to see things like that, mm. knowing some of the things that we experienced as kids is, man, it's like, wow, what have we done to these mm-hmm. these kids nowadays, you know? I know. I remember actually Mariana, we was climbing a tree at the elementary school when we were in elementary school and she fell out of the tree and broke her arm. Mm. Um and that was just a short tree, but we used to climb and do all sorts of stuff and you know, crazy things. I remember um, we had a park down the street from my parents' house, and they had built, you know, at the time they built built the parks out of wood, right? And then there's gravel. Now it's like that spongy rubber material that bounces kind of like the like the park next to us and it's like there's nothing that could sliver or there's no nails right anyways this park was like the like people would come from all over to go to this park because it had it was huge 
had so many different things to climb up. It had a net, it had tire swings, it had, and then it had this, what is it called when you like hang on to the bar and the bar goes down like a zip line? Yeah, like a zip line. It had a zip line. And I remember my brother, you know, going, you know, as fast as he could across that zip line. And, and then one day he like let go or he, you know, accidentally let go and fell right on his face right into the rocks. And he was just like immediate black eye, blood everywhere, big fat lip, you know, his whole face was just torn up. And, um, that was just typical day. (laughs) It was always a kid. And then they tore that whole park down eventually Mm -hmm. and build up a new one. Obviously the, the parks get worn down, but now again, it's like, there's no gravel, there's no rocks, there's no wood, there's no nails, like, to put it together. It's just, like, all these, like, safer type of materials that will soften the blows. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I remember when we were in that era, you know, where skating was big. It had first uh, caught fire out west, and then, of course, it traveled to every bike shop. Like, every bike shop sold skateboards, and I remember we got all kinds of skateboarding gear one Christmas. And, and, uh, (laughs) there was one day when Josh, my brother, he decided he was going to tackle this massive hill beside the house. And there's this really long hill. Like you, I mean, you would seriously build up some speed and it's not undoable, but if you're not, if your equipment's not set up right and you, you know, you don't have the experience to relax when the death wobbles come, you're in trouble. So I remember he started at the top of that thing, just sort of cold, not really skilled at skating at all, and just bombed it, just came down, and he got all the way down to the bottom. So he was at max speed, right? And you could see him, the death wobbles, man. He was just going, you know, the board was just wobbling back and forth, and you could see him trying to keep up with it, Mm -hmm. you know? And the more you try to do that, the worse it gets. And then just at the bottom, at the the, the height of speed, he fell off the board backwards and landed and cracked his head <laughs> on the concrete road, right? And, you know, popped up and walked off like, eh, you know, hey, oh, it's that's just part of it. You know, he was hurt like he was all, you know, had some serious road rash going on. But, you know, he was fine. Yeah. Got up and, and kept going, right? But if that happened today, I could imagine the fire department would be there and 16 ambulances and... <laughs> Someone would probably accuse my parents of child abuse and, <laughs> want, you know, want to want to rehome the kids and all oh kinds of crazy gosh. stuff like that. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It's crazy. It is. It really is. Yeah, we did all that fun stuff and uh, built ramps. And I mean, one of my buddies, we built a we built a half pipe in his backyard. <laughs> you know, nobody's out there. Nobody's going to be there if you fall. It's just, you know, mm-hmm. you and tons of wood. And potential splinters. Yeah. Fun times. It really Fun was. Times. But it, I mean, you know, I think I don't mean to romanticize getting hurt because that's not at all really what it's all about. It's just about having the freedom to live right. as a kid. You know, you had this ability to kind of go out and just explore and learn. And you pick up so many things that way, you know, whether you're skateboarding and falling or you know, climbing and building forts and exploring in the woods or whatever the thing is, you're learning that whole time. Yeah. You just, you learn, it was like, you learn hard. (laughs) Yeah. You fall and, but then you learn quickly and then you want to do it again. So 
you figure out a way to do it so that you don't fall. Right. And Mm -hmm. I just remember us, you know, doing things over and over again. And, you know, you know, that one fall that my brother had, well, like he was back up, you know, playing on the park and jumping off roofs and doing crazy things still. Um, that didn't deter him from, you know, continuing. And that's the cool thing about having the ability to, you know, to, to learn from the experiences. And sometimes I, uh, you know, I see or hear stories cause you know, we, we don't have kids to, you know, firsthand see or experience the kids and what they're doing, but they just seem to, you know, not have that same, you know, harsh experience. I mean, depending on who you're talking to, you know, I think if I, I talk to people who are living, you know, out with some open land and, and, you know, their kids are in a community where, you know, they're doing different things outdoors and, well, you know, they're, they're getting different kind of experience than the kids growing up in the cities. For sure. You know. Yeah. I mean, I think if, you know, if we do decide to have kids someday, we definitely want to have land. I want them to be able to explore and fall and get hurt and play in the dirt and, you know, be exposed to everything that life has to offer because that's such a great way of learning. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the greatest lesson in all of that, you know, looking back on some of those things uh, is that when something like that happens, you know, like I, I told you about uh, my brother falling at the bottom of that hill, Josh fell on the bottom of that hill pretty, pretty hard. But we did so many other crazy things where we fell and if you wanted to continue, then you had that little bit of doubt placed in your mind now. It's like, okay, well, there's some doubt here. And so if you wanted to actually break through to the next level and go down that hill again, right? Like imagine that, mm-hmm. you know, which I think eventually, you know, was just, it was just, it became commonplace. Like coming down that massive hill was just part of how we rode skateboards. Mm-hmm. But getting to that place, like even though I wasn't the one that fell, like the image of Josh falling was in my head, right? <laughs> and so now I had to take my cell phone every time I came up to that hill. Right. And everybody who knew about that story had to take themselves on when they came up to that hill. So you, there's a certain amount of resilience you learn from, you know, knowing that there's the potential that something could go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about this a lot in personal development circles, right? Like being vulnerable and being vulnerable is literally the definition of vulnerability is literally putting yourself in a position to where you could potentially be hurt. Right. Right. But that's where your strength lies. Yeah. Like you're never going to get anywhere watching the other kid go down the hill. Yeah. Right. You got to <laughs> like do I'm, it yourself. You got to do it yourself. Right. And uh, in fact, now that we're talking about this, I remember the system that we had, like we would start at the bottom of the hill, we'd go up like a third of the way and then come down and then we go up halfway and then come down. <laughs> And so you just kept building your confidence and you mm-hmm. learn these strategies right. that could serve you later in life. It's like, okay, well, how do I have this massive problem where, you know, I might kill myself coming down this hill. All right, well, how can I overcome it? And then you start developing a strategy, right? you know, and when I contrast that with what happens today, if, if you're in a spot where you're not allowed to compete, not with others, but with yourself, man, I mean, that's such a weakness to carry into the real world. Yeah. And I think you see that play out in the way there's an outcry for everything outside of you to be changed and padded and safe, but yet there's no cry for you to become stronger as a person mm. or to 
like really take yourself on and, and take a hard look at the way you're thinking about it because maybe it's not as bad as you think it is in the first place. Right. right. It's that idea of, you know, prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's true character being built when you're able to experience and do the things and not, you know, always have a bunch of, you know, pillows to land on. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, in the summers, there was a water slide park in town. It was in the south part, south part of Calgary, southeast. Mm -hmm. And my dad, like super early in the morning before the park was even open, because he had to go to work, he would drop Marianne and I off like a first thing. It was like before eight. I think it opened at eight or something like that. He would drop us off and then he would come back like at six, five, six at night. Like we would be at the waterside park the entire day alone, the two of us, Right. (laughs) you know, and we were in, it was before we were 16 because when I was 16, I got my car, I got a car and I was, I was driving. So wherever we went, so it was well before that, like we were probably, I'm guessing 12, maybe 13, you know, like we were on our own (laughs) for the whole day. I remember we would just, up and down that slide. I remember I thought it being so big in that place <laughs> after I was older, it was like, there's like two or three slides and they're the smallest things ever. But when you're young <laughs> and you're out there, everything is so big. Yeah. I can't imagine like, you know, that, that would be, my dad would be called into child services oh, if yeah. uh, today, if he dropped a kid off at, you know, unsupervised for almost 12 hours. 10 yeah. hours or whatever it was. What do kids do now when they're in their young teens, right? When we were 12, 13, 14 years old, going to the mall was the thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you see it on all the 80s movies. They always take place in a mall. The kids are going to the yeah. mall. We used to I mean, even mall. on Stranger Things, right? Like one of the seasons was the monsters at the mall kind <laughs> of a thing, you know? There's always a mall in there somewhere, yep. right? But yeah, like that was like Friday nights, Saturday nights. It was get with your buddy and then one parent would take and one parent would pick up. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. Hey man, if your parents will take, my parents will pick up, Yeah, you know, and then Remember they would that. just drop us off. And then we would walk around the mall and terrorize people all night long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny though. Like thinking about the, that era and you know, how much freedom we had and how much, we learn from that, you know, just like being in a space where you had to think and problem solve. And I think a lot of times that's lost today. Definitely. You know, it's like you said something about getting your license at 16. Like kids nowadays don't even want their license. I know. I was actually devastated because so it was my 16th birthday and it landed on a holiday. It was e- around Easter yeah. and I couldn't go take the test. Like, <laughs> on the day of my birthday. And I, w- I remember being so mad. I had to wait till the, you know, driver's place was open. And as soon as it was open, I was there, got my te- got my license. And then um, it was, I think, a year, actually. I think I had my license for a year before my dad ended up buying me the Maniac. 
(laughs) (laughs) That was the car's name, (laughs) the maniac. And I had that car for like 10 years, but for five of those years, granted I was, um, working on cruise ships. So I was in and out and it was a hatchback Hyundai XL Mm -hmm. and I love that thing. <laughs> it was the best car. And we piled into that car. I drove everyone. When we went to high school, it was it was a ride. It wasn't, you know, walking distance from the house like the junior high was. So that first year of high school, I had to ride with my brother, which I hated. And then took the bus just a few times. And then it was Mariana's brother. We would catch a ride with you know, somehow catch a ride, we'd figure out getting a ride so that we never had to. And then I immediately got my, my car for that next second year in high school. Yeah, that was a big thing, man, working out the logistics, you know, at that age. Yeah. Getting the ride. Getting the the ride. That was the big thing, man. But my parents were never available because my dad, well, in the wintertime, my dad never worked because he was in construction. He would just help at the restaurant. So he was mostly available to drive but my mom she was always you know busy and uh and then I had you know like my sister or my brother but my sister she got the Chevy Nova so she drove the Chevy Nova and then I think my brother had a Chevette do you remember those oh, I remember Chevettes? the Chevette yeah my buddy uh my buddy Dustin had a Chevette <laughs> yeah and then my mom bought my, the vet. my brother a freaking Z28, IROC, whatever they were called. So translate that to English. It's Z28. Z28. <laughs> Z28. Is that a, was it an IROC? Was uh, that the name of it? The, the IROC Z. It had a T. Um, T-tops. T-top. Yeah. And That's so 80s. He rode that even. thing around. <laughs> he was like the coolest dude. He was Blaring the, his and, punk rock. And he was quarterback of the high school football team. So like he was... Like the king of the school it was funny. That is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I was Good not. Times. I was not fortunate enough to have my parents buy me an Iraq Z. <laughs> my dad's uh, like, "Hey, man, you know what? Whatever money you save up, I'll match it when you get ready to get your car, right?" And I was like, "Okay, well, that's better than I thought he was going to do, right? I thought it was just going to be whatever I could save up, right?" And this is like minimum wages. 415 an hour or something at this point you know i'm in 15 16 years old in high school and i remember he when i got my license he let me drive his el camino so i was i was the kid in the el camino <laughs> like working at target you know my little red vest on you know that that all that fun stuff and i remember i worked all summer and saved up like 2 grand you know working for like 415 an hour or 415 an hour or something like that it's a lot of hours yeah and then at the end of the summer, he asked me how much I'd saved up. And I, I told him, you know, I was like, I got like two grand. And then we went car shopping. And so he bought me an $8,000 car. So he, he tripled it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. That's cool. That was cool. Yeah. What was your first car? Actually, I, I didn't have the Z28. I had the Z24, which was the Chevy Cavalier that was sporterized a little oh, bit. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, so it wasn't a bad car at all, and it actually had a sunroof and all that fun stuff back Fancy. in the day. Yeah, but it was definitely not as cool as the the car your brother got. <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah. not. Yeah, somebody asked me about that car the other day. I wonder who that was. It's going to slip my mind. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then crazy. I had that car when I stopped cruising and I got a job here. I was working for like a or in Canada I was working for a marketing company and I ended up, you know, I, w- I had a Jeep on my mind, so I ended up buying the Jeep that I'm still driving. So still have it, yeah. <laughs> almost I got that Jeep in 2003. Yeah. So you just you just needed me to come into your life and and dress it up a bit save for it. you. Yeah, you had perform any surgeries on it. That's right. Yeah, we got the lift Pimped kit on ride. it, the new <laughs> off-road wheels and tires on that bad boy, roof rack. It's looking good. Yeah, it's a great it's a great off-road car, that mm-hmm. one. Yeah, for sure. It's not as cool as mine, but you know. We'll have to get a new Jeep here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, all this talk of the the 80s has brought me way back. I know, right? We started talking about Christmas, and somehow we ended up on the 80s. Somehow we ended up in the 80s. Well, hey. Yeah. That is what it is. But I guess, you know, we've got 2022 coming up. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what's on your agenda? I have a little bit of an idea of what's going to be up for us both, but what's on your agenda going into uh, the big double deuce? Double Deuce. Yeah, Double Deuce. That's a good way to put put it. Well, yeah. I'm excited to help many people achieve their, you know, fitness and wellness goals. I'm uh, building my nutrition business and I've been helping people already, helping people online and in person and I'm really excited to build our hardwater brand and lifestyle. And uh, so lots of like cool, cool things coming just just over the horizon. Mm -hmm. They're already bubbling, I would say. Yeah, definitely. We've had a lot of conversations around what 2022 is going to look like. Hopefully those of you guys out there, you know, and uh, in Podcastville are, you know, thinking about the same thing because we've only got what, like two days. I guess when this airs, you'll have two days before the first of the year comes up. And, you know, having that vision together is super important. But yeah, I mean, one of the tenets that we we really talk about and really try to help focus people in on is just knowing where you want to go, right? And once you have that idea of what you want to create, reverse engineering the process to get there becomes a lot easier. And I think a lot of times what I see when I'm dealing with folks and trying to help people on their path is there's just not enough clarity there, mm-hmm. right? And the unfortunate thing about being human is, you know, we've only got a certain amount of time. So the way that I look at that is time is passing and we have enough time to do anything we want, but we don't have enough time to do everything we want. Mm -hmm. And so there's this real urgency that we need to place around the things that we want to create and focus all of our time and effort on making them real. And I find that once the clarity is there, then everything else comes much, much, much easier. Because then it's just a process of, okay, how? How am I going to do this? And then staying consistently committed to the path, right? Looking at the results. Are the results happening? Are they becoming what you want to create? Or are they not? And if the answer is no, then we try a new path, right? Mm -hmm. Just becomes this... Reverse engineer and re-strategize. Reverse engineer and re-strategize. You know, it's um, just this idea of tracking where you are and steering the ship constantly to make sure that you're 
you know, getting there and what mm-hmm. you want to create. Yeah. I think if I only would have known this <laughs> at a young age, I just, and I think I, I, I actually did it in many different ways without realizing it maybe, but that how important that clarity is and, you know, manifested things in my life so quickly and almost, I want to say effortlessly, there was definitely effort, but there was no resistance, you know? And, and I just would go for things. I, you know, with, I would see opportunities because I was clear something would come up and I'd be like, Oh, like that's right. That's down the right path. And, um, you know, creating things just became like easier, you know? Sure. And, um, and that, and it's so key. It's so key to get, gain that clarity. I think with the clients that I work with, you know, the, sometimes they're like, why are we talking about this? And the why, like, what's the why behind what you want to create? It's so crucial because in the moments when it's hard and you don't want to do the thing or you don't want to, you know, or you want to eat the thing or whatever that is, it's having that clarity and that vision and getting clear on your values and what's important and what's behind the reason, you know, the reasons why, um, that's what keeps you motivated, you know, not just a number on a scale or a number in the bank account, like that by itself does not hold up any kind of, you know, hard, you know, structure, but, you know, being healthy so that you can lift your grandkids and spend time with them and live long and live healthy and be pain-free, you know, that has a lot more meaning, right? Sure. I mean, and it's all a game at the end of the day, right? Like earning money is a game, you know, taking your body on is a game, you know, making gains physically, whether it's to run further or to lift heavier, it's all a game. And so when you gamify and you start looking at where you are and tracking your progress, then at the end of the day, you know, the hard part is staying in when you don't see the result adding up. And I think that's why so many people end up on the sidelines of their dreams. It's because, you know, when you start a month in, two months in, three months in, you know, you're going to see very little return on that. You're not realizing that you spent the first 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life doing things a different way. And you've got a result because of all that investment, that inertia behind all those other previous behaviors and habits. Mm -hmm. But then once you realize I'm going to make a change and it gets not, I don't want to use the word hard because it is hard, but really what it is is mundane. It's like, okay, well I need to eat this way. And it's not an exciting way to eat. <laughs> guess what? You know, and uh, I need to lift this weight. And guess what? That's not exciting either. You know, or I need to cover this distance. Or I need to read this book. You know, none of it is exciting. But all of it moves the needle when you do it consistently over time. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that is so hard to hold on to. So having that why, like what you're talking about, is your fallback when it gets mundane when it gets hard so to speak right why are you doing this well i want my future to look different than my present and the only way that i can do that is to act different in the present therefore why am i doing this okay that needs to be important i think steve jobs actually touched on this in an interview with someone he was talking about entrepreneurship and 
they, and he was saying, someone asked him about building businesses and he was saying, you know, hey, you just gotta, you really gotta love what you're doing, you know? And, you know, and, and he followed up by saying, because it's so damn hard, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta love it. You gotta want it. Mm-hmm. Something in you has to desi- have desire for this thing. And I love what uh, Naval Ravikant says about desire. And I'm sure he got it from another philosopher, but he says, you know, desire is a contract you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get the result you want. Mm -hmm. And that's so true. You know, we forget that, you know, we really do forget that a lot of times because you're admitting that you're in lack, right? I have a desire. That means I want something I don't have. You're acknowledging that you're in lack. And when you do that, that's not a place where you find yourself experiencing the joy and sunshine and lollipops of abundance and I am enough and all these other flowery words people like to say to motivate each other, one another that add up to nothing unless you're actually doing the work behind the scenes, you know? True. Yeah, for sure. So going into the new year, man, you know, we started uh, building a new business this past summer we sold out of a CrossFit gym to do so. So we're transitioning, both of us transitioning. So we're doing the exact same thing that everyone out there who's starting fresh with something new is having to go through. So we're going through the process of the vision work. We're going through the process of creating the habits to create the new business, to create the results that we want to create, to create the lifestyle that we want to live, right? And for us, it's all about freedom, liberty. You know, it's about owning your time and not settling for the scraps from somebody else's table. And so if that's a message that's resonating with any, any of you guys out there listening to this today, then definitely pick us up on social media, you know, jump in the hard water one group, uh, reach out to myself or Christina. I'll link us all up in the show notes and uh, we'll chat. Uh, We can definitely help you achieve those goals. Christina is specifically going to be working in the nutrition space and I'm going to be working in the human performance, personal development space. So if you need help with mindset, business development, that sort of thing, I'll be your go-to. But um, going into the new year, you know, I think it's easy to forget that everybody starts from zero. And, uh, you know, once you get to the next level, basically you just reach the next zero. Yeah, it's true. You know, so what's the next 10 look like, right? Like you hit level 10 of where you are. Okay, well, guess what? Now you're at zero. What's the next 10 look like? And the next 10 after that, and the next 10 after that. And when you realize that you have this ability to grow and mature and create results throughout the course of your life, not just momentarily, not just in one area, not just in money or fitness or relationships, but in all of those things, you know, that's when things get really fun and interesting and the game starts to change, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anything you want to add to that? I know we kind of just rambled a little bit today, but we wanted to just jump on and have a Christmas conversation. And again, you know, doing this podcast as part of the consistency piece, you know, we put new material out every week and didn't want to take the week off, even though so many people are taking the week off. So this is just one more example of creating that consistency. What say you? My no, dear? I uh, I agree with you. I'm glad that we got in here and had the conversation. I'm looking forward to doing some, you know, some more podcasts, nutrition specific, uh, you know, having some discussions 
around all of the crazy topics out there. I know there's lots of lots of information when it comes to nutrition. So we'll we'll dig into some different topics as as the year goes on. I'm excited. Definitely. So for those people out there who are setting targets for the new year, especially, you know, coming off all the food and the drinking, right? And the stress of dealing with family and the not sleeping. And now we've got New Year's Eve coming up. So we've got probably more get togethers, more dinners, more drinks, right? And then everybody's going to kind of sober up on New Year's Day (laughs) and wake up to the fact that, oh shit, it's double deuces. I better get busy. Time to do some shit. Time to get ready. What do you say to those folks, man? I say, let's get to work, right? Let's get to work. We don't have time time to beat ourselves up, you know, and, you know, now is always a good time to get started. You know, people use the new year as like the fresh start and, you know, you can use a week, you can use a day, you can use the hour, you can use a minute. I mean... Really, any time is it is the right time to start, and so, you know, um, I I love how it's you know this time of year is leveraged by so many. But don't be that statistic on January twenty first, right? Where you know they they say like you know, we were in the gym business for a long time, and you know January was the biggest month most times, <laughs> yeah. and you know usually by you know, usually by the, the ant, you'd have really full classes, right? All the way through January. And then by the end of January, classes got to, you got to see like the people that were always coming consistently would be there, you know, and people would just fall off. And uh, some would pay their membership for months and months before finally they would cancel the membership. So there was like that, you know, kind of hope that they would keep on keep mm-hmm. on going and I think it's easier for you know um it's easier to talk about it when you're in in that moment but think about that like what could you set for yourself to think how can I you know what am I going to do so that I can actually like really consistently make this change in my life and reach out and get the support I need whether it's a coach or you know um new friends, you know, you know, a a workout buddy, whatever that is. Yeah. That's a big one actually. You know, don't be that statistic on the 21st. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. I mean, it's funny in that world, you know, we're in the gym, gym business for seven years and then decided to transition into building online coaching businesses rather than being tied to a physical location. But in the fall, you, you know, there was always a pattern in like October, November, you know, you could sell a ton of nutrition, right? Because people knew they were going to see family that they hadn't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And they remember the insults that they rem- they remember those throwaway comments from previous years about so-and-so being out of shape or being overweight. They remember all that stuff. So a week out is too late. People would come in a month or two out and want to drop weight knowing full well that they're going to see family and friends that they hadn't <laughs> seen in a while. Right. Yeah. It, it's kind of funny, it's true. but it's interesting in, in the same way that we're talking about setting up 2022. There's a concept there that you can leverage your, 
your fears, you can leverage your insecurities, you can leverage your programming, if you will. So like if you know you're the type of person who cares about the commentary you're going to receive from family, for example, then you're basically when you're coming in that month before Thanksgiving, you're leveraging that. You're finding a way to overcome that part of you that doesn't want to go, that doesn't want to eat right, you know, that doesn't want to put in the time. You're leveraging the fact that you want to feel good when you see this person, right? And we all have these different levers that we can pull at certain times. And so just a classic one for me is I know that if I make a public commitment, I don't like to look bad, right? I mean, very few people do. But if I'm being honest, I really don't like to give my word to someone and then not follow through. So if I make a public commitment to a thing, whether that thing has been done or not, then I'm more likely to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's one lever that I can use when I go into a situation where I'm creating from the unknown or I'm doing something I haven't done. And so I would challenge anyone listening that's looking for that. Why, you know, don't be afraid to go dark side. You know, it's fully okay to go dark side. Sometimes look at your behaviors, look at the things that drive you possibly in a negative way and figure out a way to look at that from the lens of, okay, well, I do not want to have this negative experience again. And let's take a hard look at what levers can I pull here to make sure that I motivate myself because that's what it's going to come down to. No one's going to motivate you for you. You know, how can I motivate myself? How can I be my own guru? Well, find a leverage point. Maybe it's a public commitment. Maybe it's not wanting to look bad in front of the relatives. Maybe it was that throwaway comment at Christmas, you know, but whatever it is, find that thing and let it fuel you, Mm -hmm. you know, and if it's dark side, that's probably better. Yeah. Because it's going to give you that much more energy in the moment. Yeah, that's cool. For sure. So, yeah, so I know you're about to turn into a pumpkin. It's late Mm -hmm. uh, Tuesday night. We're recording this, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got to go tuck you in. Any like, any last words before I tuck you in? No, I'm I'm good. I just got to protect my sleep, you know. And That's right. Sleep is important. <laughs> <laughs> sleep is very important. All right. That said, guys, appreciate you guys tuning in for this little random Christmas episode. We had fun chit-chatting, catching up. Hopefully you guys pulled a few little things from this or at least enjoyed the conversation. I'll uh, link up my information and Christina's information in the show notes on the website. So feel free to jump over there and find us on Facebook and jump in the Hard Water One group. And we will see you in the very next episode. Have a good night. Bye. Or day, depending on when you're looking at, looking at this, depending on when you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for this episode of Hard Water Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing. And by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com or pick me up on social media. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.